Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 274th episode of the podcast, and today we're talking about another topic that is incredibly pertinent both for those interested in fly fishing and those who are just getting started in fly fishing. But if you've been angling for a long time, I want you to think for a second how you'd answer this question. If you're fishing on the river, or if your your friend, your neighbor, one of your kids comes up to you and asks you this question, how would you answer this? Where do I find fish? Where do I find fish? This is a wonderful question, and it's a question that is, again, one of those things that it becomes second nature after you've been fishing for a long time. But when you're just getting started, this is one of those barriers to entry, if you will. Now, you may live in a place where there is a renowned trout river nearby, where there's a stream or a lake or a pond or a shoreline that is just known for producing fish all the time. There's a good chance that if you have that in a local setting, that you'll be able to get there, but getting the fish is, is of course, going to be the next big hurdle. But when it comes to finding fish, there's really two aspects of this. One is how do you find water? And the second is how do you read water? So the first is, how do you find water? The second is, how do you read water? Now, there have been wonderful books written about both of these things, um, primarily about reading water. And I'll define that here in a moment. But finding water, I'm just going to go over quickly a few things that you can do to find rivers, find ponds, find streams. Again, this is more of a trout-focused conversation, but you can certainly apply this to all the other species that are out there. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in in a recent podcast, we will focus on other kinds of fly fishing in a later podcast in this series. But how do you find water? First and foremost is go to a fly shop. 
go to a place where there are people that can give you this information. Now, don't expect them to tell you exactly where to go, like put your feet in this spot and cast in this place, and there will be a fish there. Generally speaking, that's not the kind of information that people give out. And even if they did give that out, think about the next dozen people that they give that exact same information to. Are you going to want to fish in that spot? But any fly shop worth its salt is going to give you a little bit of a heads up on where you can go around where you live. And the benefit of talking to a fly shop is, one, they, they are going to have up-to-the-date information Two, they're going to provide you with flies and maybe even a little bit of technique advice that goes along with that. And three, it's going to be someplace where you are already. You're not going to be having to go further away. So those are the three benefits of the fly shop. And, you know, of course, with all that comes the nuance of a face-to-face -face conversation or an over-the-phone conversation. Although it's always going to be better to be in person. That's the first thing. The second place that I like to go for information on where to fish, particularly where to fish where I anticipate there's going to be a good amount of fish to pursue, is my state regulations booklet. So most states, at least where I live in New Hampshire, they still give you a physical copy and they give you the option of taking that physical copy. Um, I still take one for the reason is I like to peruse it completely cover to cover um, in a way that is a little bit more convenient than doing it online. I know it's probably more eco-friendly to do it online, but uh, the the online regulation books aren't as convenient as scanning the all the information as the physical copy. Plus, my kids read the thing cover to cover multiple times after I get it. So we definitely get our money's worth out of it. But going through that regulation booklet will tell you rivers and streams that have a certain amount of fish in them. Well, how does how does a state know how much fish is in a fish how many fish are in a particular stream or stretch of stream? This is a great question. And if you've been fly fishing for a long time, how would you answer this question? Well, there's a couple of ways that that the state agencies know. One is how many fish they put in. And so if it is a stream that is stocked, then they know how many fish are getting put in that stream, how many thousands of fish or thousands of pounds or inches of fish are getting put into a particular stream. And so they say, we expect to put X many thousand pounds of fish in, in the early uh, springtime. So we assume this is still going to be a viable fishery throughout the entire spring and early summer. The second is through stream surveys, which is often done by electroshocking. And they will go through a stream and they will use a relatively harmless method of probing the stream and getting a sample for a stretch of 100 yards, a few hundred yards. And they extrapolate that after a few samples over a couple of stream miles. And they say, this, this is how many fish are in this stream. And a lot of times that will incorporate streams that have been stocked. But more often than not, that's going to be your wild trout fisheries, fish, places where fish are naturally reproducing. But the, the state agencies can take both of those pieces of information, as well as some other ecological uh, variables and factors that they have access to. And they're able to say, these are the streams that you can fish in and that you have a very good chance of getting into fish. And secondly, they probably have special regulations that go along with them. Now, this is a great place to start, and this is a perfect place to stay. But the one piece of corollary information I would like to add to this is that these are not the only rivers and streams that hold fish. Sometimes folks think that, okay, these are the streams with special regulations. These are the streams that are being uh, monitored for how many fish per mile there are or, or something like that. And that means these are, the, these are the trout rivers in my state or in my area. That is not the case. If there is water, there's a good chance there is 
going to be some kind of fishing opportunity. And the only way you're going to know is one, by having a reliable source, and two, going out there and getting after it. Um, a lot of anglers really covet the fact that there are streams that are not in those regulation books that have quality fisheries, whether it be for trout or smallmouth bass or some other fish. So that third piece, you know, you go to the fly shop, one, go to the special regulations uh, part of the uh, regulation book, it's two, and then just getting out and exploring is three. Now that third one, if you're just getting started, you may encounter some frustration or you may really hit it big. Uh, but know that if you're okay with catching anything, if you're okay with catching fall fish, which is a big fancy glorified minnow we have on the East Coast, if you're okay with uh, catching bluegill, if you're okay with catching whatever, then you're you're going to uh, be rewarded in some way. But those are the three ways that I think are best for finding water. I'll, I'll throw a fourth one in at the very end in my recommendation section, the very, very tail end of the podcast. But that's the first step, is finding that water. Now, like I said, there's a lot of value and virtue and joy and excitement that comes in exploring. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one real quick way that I like to explore. Um, so, for example, I've got two rivers, one on either side of my property. Uh, one is about 100 yards to the woods on one side, and the other one is uh, about a, a mile away on, on the other side of, of me through the neighborhood. And they effectively are the same flow. They have the same topography. They have the same hydrology. That's to say that they kind of move the same through the same sort of environment. One has a lot of regulations. The other one doesn't. Now, one may receive more stocking from the state. The other one doesn't, but that doesn't mean that there's not fish there. It's not as, as if it is devoid of trout or devoid of other fish species. And so what I do is I look in the special regulations book and it says river X is really good for trout fishing. River Y is not listed or is listed as marginal, but that doesn't mean there's not fish in there. And so I look at these two streams and I say, okay, they are very, very similar. The same thing is true with mountain trout fishing. This is one of my my absolute favorite things to encourage people to do. If you're in the mountains and one stream has a great reputation and the next the next one, the next valley over has a marginal reputation, that's only because one probably gets more publicity. Now, could there have been a hurricane and that, that completely scoured that river? Yes. Could there have been some sort of fish kill? Could there be some sort of other factor? It maybe gets more uh, more sunlight and so it uh, it hasn't rebounded from ecological disaster. Yes. With all of those uh, variables notwithstanding, it's still worth saying, all right, if this river fishes really well, the next one river probably fishes decent enough and I'm probably I'm not going to have as much competition with other anglers. So that would be just a little bit of a, a, a trick tip hint, whatever, for finding water on your own. Go to that river that is popular and see what rivers flow around it or maybe flow into it. Tributaries, uh, rivers that flow into main uh, rivers. So like a big, a smaller stream that flows into a river it might be smaller, uh, but uh, that the fish don't, you know, there's, there's no stop sign for fish as they're swimming around. They're going to see uh, a nice cool water influx and either they're going to put their nose into that creek or they're going to swim up that creek and find a little spot to hang out. So a few things about finding water. So once you find water, the next step is how do you read water? Now, what does it mean to read water? This is one of those fly fishing terms that is, you know, again, we say it all the time, but what does it mean? It means we're breaking down a stream and trying to figure out what is the most likely lie for a fish. So next week, we're going to talk about presenting the fly. So these are, this is kind of the, the, the two sides of the coin. So uh, if, if 
today we're covering the two sides of the coin of finding water and reading water. Then next week we're going to pick up with the third side of the coin. I know there's not coins that have three sides, uh, but of once you read the water, how do you present in that water? So that is once you find out where the fish is going to be, how do you put the fly in a place where that fish is then going to see that fly? But for now, we're going to talk about reading the water. So this is a skill that primarily involves your brain. There's not a huge physical component to this. But reading the water breaks down a particular stretch of river or even a bit of shoreline in a way where you can understand everything that's going on in front of you. Now, it is not as easy as the water is flowing from my right to my left. I mean, that's a good thing to note. You, you want to know which direction the water is flowing, but there's a lot more detail that goes into it. And this is honestly, honestly a topic that is best served in person or in some sort of video or photographic um, uh, you know, context, because it's very helpful to see these things. At the same time, there's if you've been around water enough, if you've walked by a river, if you've floated down a river in a canoe or an inner tube, you're going to understand some of these things. Generally speaking, when we break down rivers, we talk about a few major components with a few auxiliary aspects that get thrown in. And so again, this is a cursory brief overview. You can go into much greater detail in other places, certainly over at castingacross.com, but there's a lot of other resources that are out there. And those are riffle, run, and pool. Riffle, run, and pool. So what is a riffle? A riffle is that choppy water. It's where the river is going faster. It is maybe going over rocks, and then so it is increasing in its turbulence, but it's also increasing in its speed. And it's also what we call broken water. Fish often hold in riffles. Well, for a number of reasons. Because you have to remember, fish are looking for three things. Every day of their life, they're looking for food. Every day of their life, they're looking for protection from predators. And for a few weeks out of the year, they're looking for love. Right? But that's really all that they care about. Food, safety, and uh, amore. Right? So the when it comes to food, a riffle is a wonderful food source because that water is coming over rocks in such a fast way that is churning a lot of stuff up. So you get your food source there, but then you also have broken water above. So it provides some sort of cover. A fish, a, a fish eating uh, bird like a heron is not going to be able to see a fish as easy when the water is choppy as it is in a glassy pool. So that is a wonderful opportunity to find fish is in broken water. Um, you, you also have the benefit of being obscured and obstructed slightly uh, when that water is broken. So that's the, the first piece is this riffle, this faster choppy water. Um, these are great when you get into one because the fish will be spread out all across it. Um, they're going to be finding places where they have a good supply of food, but then also they feel a little bit more secure. A run is similar to a riffle, but slightly different in that it is a faster but deeper stretch of water. Now, again, there is so much more nuance to what I'm talking about, but in generalities, it is a fast run of water. It is a, a fast stretch of, of flow where it could be deep, it could be shallow, it could be going around a rock, it could be running straight. But this is a stretch where you could potentially find fish down deep or find fish on the edges. But this is going to be a place where the fish find some sort of security because they have a deeper water column where they can rise up to chase food or they can drop down to find a little bit more security. They can move laterally along this, this run to move in faster water and move into slower water. 
And then thirdly uh, is a pool. And a pool is kind of the prototypical idea that everyone's looking for when they want to catch fish. Now, there's plenty of fish in all types of water. So pools are nice because they kind of seem and feel like a known commodity. It's, it's almost like you can reduce some of the variables because there's this spot in a river where everything slows down, the, the surface is usually glassy, and there's a good chance be, that the water is deep, and so you have a little bit of security knowing that the fish aren't seeing and hearing your every move. And so, but even within the pool, there's a couple of things. There's the top of the pool where that run flows into the pool. And so the water's becoming a little bit faster. It's going to be like the top of a funnel where, or I guess the bottom of the funnel, where you're going to have more food being shot into that pool. And then you're going to have the tail out where that pool kind of drops off because of the geology of that river and it turns into a riffle where you have fish are going to be hanging out at the back end because they're able to catch stuff as it starts to be pushed down into that next stretch now it doesn't always go riffle run riffle run it might be a long 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 riffle into a run into another riffle again every stream is different and this is very much a gross overgeneralization of three mainstream features but there's other things that you want to look for you want to look for eddies and of course an eddy is where because of a rock or because of just the the nature of the stream, the way it moves left to right as you go upstream and downstream, that you might have a piece of current where the current is actually flowing back upstream because the river hits an obstruction and it moves back upstream. It creates calmer water. It creates a pocket. This is a place where a fish has access to faster water, which means more food, which means a quicker escape route without having to exert itself as much. So this is a great place to put a fly, knowing though that that fish might be facing in the completely opposite direction because that current moves back words parallel to the main current of the stream or even perpendicular uh, so that fish has its nose towards that main flow of the stream. Similar, there's something called seams. Now, if you can find seams, you can find fish. If you can imagine looking at a river and there may be submerged rocks or there may be rocks that are coming up through the surface and you look at that river and it looks like there is water that is moving at one speed and then there might be a foam line and some like bubbles or even just debris. It's really easy to see this maybe even when there's leaves on the water um, where it's not moving at the exact same speed. Well, why is that? There's countless factors and they all have to do with the contours at the bottom of the stream. And it has to do with the width of that stream as it varies from wider to narrower and with all those other obstructions, whether it be a log or whether it be a rock, an old dam, a bridge piling, things like that. Well, this seam that is created between faster water and slower water, even though you could, you know, in theory, stand and have one leg in one part of the stream and another leg in another part of the stream, and that current is moving at two different speeds, that creates a similar situation that I alluded to earlier, where the trout can sit in the water, or any fish for that matter, can sit in the water, exert itself less, but have access to that fast water, which is bringing along a lot more food and provides a quick avenue for escape if that fish feels like it's getting in trouble. And fishing these lines is incredibly productive because fish, again, they, you know, they, they want food and they want safety and they want to do that by exerting the least amount of energy possible. They can't do a lot in their little fish brains, but what they can do is calculate how much exertion that they have to put out 
based upon the calories they're going to take in. So although they may make stupid decisions and chase a tiny little bug, they're also not going to swim side to side across the street, uh, street, probably not across the street, but across the stream just to eat small bugs. And so they're going to make educated decisions on where they position themselves in relation to the stream flow and the food that's coming in front of them. So a very easy way to kind of sum up everything I've talked about is just consider if you were to throw a something in the water, I mean, yes, it could be a fly, but throw a stick in the water and watch where that stick flows. Watch how it kind of moves in the current. Watch how it might be pushed to the side or how it might get submerged and drop straight down and then pop up somewhere else in the stream. That is going to be what fish are looking for when they're looking for food. But even better, if you can find a bug that lands in the water and you can follow that bug visually, then you know where fish are going to be targeting those insects. And then you may have the benefit of actually seeing a fish come up and consume that fly. This is a best case scenario when you can target fish that you can see. But more often than not, you're not going to be seeing those fish, particularly if you're fishing subsurface patterns, which we'll talk about in a coming episode. But you're not going to necessarily see every fish that you cast to. If you're in a situation where you can, fantastic. But you're going to be, more often than not, casting subsurface flies into spaces that yet you can't see perfectly, but because you've read the water, you have a very good general idea of what things are like down there, and you assume that there's going to be a fish in that place. That's part of fishing. That's part of the excitement of it. Now, of course, how can you best assess the situation? Like I talked about last week, a pivotal piece of gear is polarized sunglasses. Polarized sunglasses are so important because they allow you to see the contours of the stream. They allow you to take away that glare so you're able to see maybe what's underwater. And they allow you to maybe even see fish. Training your eye to see fish or more often than not, the shadow of a fish on the stream bottom is very helpful when it comes to not only presenting the flies we'll talk about next week, but of course finding fish, but also knowing how to not spook fish, not put yourself in a position, which presentation will really cover this aspect of it so that you are through your motion of pursuing that fish, you're actually going to put that fish off and put it down. It's not going to want to feed because it knows that there's a predator, at least something strange going on nearby. So very general. Find the water. Look for the streams that there are going to be better opportunities to find fish through your fly shop, through books, and through just putting two and two together. If a stream here looks like it's going to work, a stream there looks like it probably at least might have something. And then go to water and read water. Spend time around water without a fly rod. Look around at things. Try to figure out where these riffles are, these runs are, these pools are eddies are, seams are. Look at a rock. Look at a boulder in the middle of a stream. Look at how the water comes up in front of it, how it splits and goes around it, how it creates a little eddy behind it, a calm pocket of water. You know, if, if you were if only to fish one place that I talked about today, fish rocks, fish in front of a rock, fish on either side of that rock, and fish behind the rock. And, and if that rock is kind of, you know, in the middle of the stream and you're casting towards it, that's going to be four very different presentations, as we'll talk about next week. But it's also four very different spots for a fish to hang out. And you very well may encounter a rock that has fish on all four sides. Usually they're in one particular place, but based on seasonality, another upcoming podcast, based upon the time of day and how the fish are feeding, again, another upcoming podcast, fish are going to be in all different places around just a boulder in the middle of a street. So 
read water, try to figure out where fish might be, understand flows, understand how that food moves through the river, and you're going to be putting yourself in a great situation to encounter fish. Of course, you got to get the fly there, but we'll talk about that in a coming episode. Any questions about anything I've talked about today? Again, very general overview of these two enormous topics. As I said, and I'll continue to say, there's lots of resources in this regard over at castingcross.com. Always feel free to reach out, email me, matthew at castingcross.com. Happy to send you more resources, book recommendations, links to articles, and even YouTube videos that I have found helpful. This week on the podcast, the first article is called Real Change, a Picture of Authentic Conservation. The gents over at Frequent Flyers Fishing, they have a YouTube channel and social media accounts, have put together another great little documentary, short little 25-minute short film. And uh, the first one they did was about catskill fly fishing. This one is about folks stocking and maintaining a creek in Delaware. And it is boots on the ground, grassroots, local level conservation. And this represents the vast majority of conservation and stream stewardship work that is going on in fly fishing in our country today. So much of what is happening is is just, it's small, it's not sexy, it's not dramatic, but it's people who care about their local watersheds putting in the boot time and the river hours to make things work. And so this is just a great little profile of a stream that none of us have probably heard of and uh, an organization none of us have probably heard of, but they're really doing great work in, in doing um, what they need to do to make their stream good for them, but also for their kids and grandkids. So check out Real Change, a picture of authentic conservation at Casting Across, and there's actually an embedded video over there for Frequent Flyers' most recent short film. Wednesday's article is called Fish More, Just Okay Water. Uh, and this kind of touches on something I mentioned in the uh, podcast today, but I have a buddy who said he wanted to fish a local river because we don't have time this week. Just go to whatever's close by. And uh, he mentioned how calling it just okay is being polite. And that's okay. That's fine. I mean, who's to say we're not going to encounter a great fish or a great day or a fish that might not be great in size, but surprises us that we find there. I mean, if I catch a four inch brook trout, on the stream this week, I'm going to be pumped. I'm going to be so excited. I don't care. I'd rather catch a four inch brook trout than a, you know, an 18 inch rainbow, uh, because that shows that, oh, this is the kind of stream that there's probably some natural reproduction of fish going on, but it's a stream that's local, but I've never fished, but we're just going to give it a shot this week. So this is the kind of thing that I want to encourage you to try to do more of because it uh, adds that aspect of exploration and uh, surprise into your fly fishing. This week's recommendation on the podcast is something I've recommended a number of times, but I'm doing again today because it really plays into what I talked about when I discussed finding water. And if you're a new angler, you would be doing a lot worse than having a Trout Routes subscription. So Trout Routes is an app and a uh, platform that you can access on the desktop that gives you lots and lots all sorts of information about rivers. It's the kind of thing that once you start understanding river terminology and stream flows and the, you know when it comes to literally the cubic feet per second and access and all that sort of stuff, it's an invaluable tool. Now, the benefit of this is this is not some sort of crowdsourced social media app. No one's going to know where you're fishing. No one's going to know what fish you've caught. It is simply a data aggregating tool that you have access to on your phone. You can download stuff so you can utilize it offline if you're really in the backcountry. And it helps you find water of various classes and various statuses 
around you or where you're going. And again, it takes into account the information that your local state agency has, and it takes information from other from federal sources and other sources as well. A great fun little tool to just find water nearby. Um, so you can check out a link to trout routes over at this podcast show notes at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.